Amen. Good morning, church. Have I told you lately that I love you? <laughs> we are in the, in the 23rd Psalm together, and David is just opening it up, and we're actually taking the time to read it verse by verse. You know, there's a, there's a part of an email that I want to read to you that I know, a past, I know the pastor who got this email. And this is just an excerpt. It said, I feel like I'm in a war zone. It's just one battle after another. I argue with my wife. I clash with my kids. I'm fighting to keep my job. I struggle with our growing debt. I'm losing the battle with my weight. I struggle with fear, anxiety. I struggle with my temper and depression. I'm fighting just to keep my head above water. When you get an email like that, and you know that someone is not just going through one of those areas, but dealing with so many of them like that, how does the goodness of God help you when you feel like that? When you know that you're in a battle, and you know that you're all beat up, and, and you know that you're going through it, David actually addresses this in the 23rd Psalm. Believe it or not, there's one line in there, and we're going to open that up and look at it. And in the 23rd Psalm, it's only six verses, but in these six verses, David actually gives us 12 different pictures of the goodness of God, and he compacts it into this, and he takes us through, and whether you're going through the still waters or green pastures or, or the valley of the shadow of death or even this week when we're going to talk about facing our enemy. No matter where you are in that, David stops and he points out the fact that our Savior is the good shepherd. God is our good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. The Bible calls him the good shepherd. He calls him the great shepherd. He call, the Bible calls him the chief shepherd. There's all kinds of clarity in there. And this, this week, in the battle, whether the battle for you is financial or it's your health or it's, or it's relationships, or maybe the battle for you is your own sanity. Let's read the 23rd Psalm together up to the point that I want to talk about today. And we've gone through these, these lines in these verses week by week together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And today I want to look at you prepare a banquet for me in the presence of my enemies. Ah, oh, David just lays this out so, so strong and clearly. What does this mean? This was written over 3,000 years ago. How could it possibly apply to us? And line by line, David gives it to us. And you know, even this fifth verse here that we're going to look at today, I actually want to stop and look at it word 
by word. And if you're taking notes, get your notes out. You're going to want to fill these in. And as we look at it word by word, and we look at what God is saying through David, the first thing in this banquet, it says the first word is actually you in verse 5. You. Who is you? You is God. In this banquet, God is the host. That's who he is. You are the host. You means God. He's the host. And he's inviting you to a banquet. The second one is you prepare a table. Prepare. In other words, this banquet is actually well planned. It is not just done off the cuff. It's not just done spare of the moment. It's not something that was done spontaneously. This is a banquet. In the King James Version, it's called, you pre- it says you prepare a table, okay? See, sometimes in some translations, it's called a banquet. Sometimes it's called a table. Sometimes it's actually called a feast, depending on which translation you're reading. But here's the deal. In the King James Version, when it talks about a table, in the original language, that word is used over and over through Scripture. And the actual word is referring to a king's table or a queen's table. So it is a table of royalty. This is not your TV dinner fold-up table, okay? There's no formica on this table. This is a table from royalty from the King James Version. And, he, and in, in the NIV, it's a, he prepares a banquet for us. You prepare a banquet for me is the next, the next word for me. In other words, I am the guest of honor. He prepares a banquet for you, which means you are the guest of honor. This is not a banquet for somebody else that he invites you to. This is a banquet that he has created for you. That's the direction of, this, of the scripture here. He created it for you and and it's not, it's, it's not just any old banquet. It's a big deal. It's really just you and the king sitting together and talking together. And everybody else is just watching. But this is your banquet. And he goes on to say, in front of. In other words, it's in public. It's not in secret. It's in public. And he wants, God wants God wants everyone to see that he is honoring you. David is saying people are going to see that that you are sitting with the king. He's, He's giving real clarity here to what God is talking about. And then the last phrase is, in front of my enemies. In front of my enemies. It does not say he's preparing for you a banquet with your friends, or in front of your friends. He says, in front of my enemies. God is saying, your enemies are going to watch you and I as we sit together at a banquet table and we eat. Where's the banquet? It's on the battlefield. It is on the The battlefield. What what does it mean when he says this banquet is on the battlefield? See, David gives us these pictures as we go through the 23rd Psalm. Different things that you and I go through in life. The mountaintops, the valleys, the valley of the shadow of death. As he leads us beside still waters. 
as he restores our soul, as he builds us up, as, he, as we're in different phases in life. And, and right here in this verse 5, it's the point when you are in a battle. The king says, during the battle, when you're in the most difficult thing that you have gone through in life, he says, I'm going to stop everything. And you and I are going to have a banquet. Your enemies are going to watch me bless you. Your enemies are going to watch me honor you. They're, your enemies are going to watch you have peace with me. Do you know what it's like to watch someone who's going through the most difficult time in their life and they have peace with God? This peace that the Bible calls, this peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it cannot be understood with the human brain. But the creator of the universe has chosen that his children can have this peace when they are going through the most difficult thing in their lives. I've been so blessed to have experienced that peace in one of the most difficult times in my life. So who's the enemy? Let, let me talk about that for a minute because the Bible actually talks about this over and over again. As a matter of fact, I've probably talked about it several times here in our church. I could certainly do a sermon on it. Could, we probably could do a series on it. But let's just spend a, a few minutes on it. The, the enemy would, would be three things that the Bible points out, and we'll go through them individually. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three things that over and over again we see in Scripture, and God tells us that that is the enemy. The first one is the world around me. The world around me is the first one that we're going to look at. Look at John 16. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, In the world you have tribulation. Underline that word, tribulation. In the world, you have tribulation and distress. You might as well underline that one too because that's there, okay? And suffering, underline that too because those three are certainly there. And this is Jesus talking, by the way. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, distress, and suffering. But be courageous because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, just hang in there. You might get through it. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And in case you did not know it, the world, the world around us, the world is in opposition to God. Do you know why? The world is in opposition to God because the world worships itself. It doesn't worship. God. And he, Jesus, that's what Jesus is pointing out when he says this. And that's why we have racism. That's why we have bias. That's why we have injustice. That's why people get picked on. That's the world around us. The second enemy that he points out is Satan. Satan is against us. This, this is real, this is real simple, real clear. I, I want to make sure that, that as a body of Christ, as a church family, we, we really understand this because, because what God has to say about Satan is that God says that Satan is real. Not only is he real, he wants to defeat you and he wants to defeat me. Why? You see, the reality is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's who God is. That's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. 
He loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, Satan hates you, and he has a terrible plan for your life. Why? What, 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 what's the deal? Why is this the way things are? It's simply because God loves you. That's all it is. See, Satan, his only reason for hating you is the very fact that God loves you. This is a real, this is real simple, but, but as followers of Christ, and those who are living our life following Christ, we need to understand this. Look what, look what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be careful, watch out for attacks from Satan. Listen, I could have given you hundreds of verses. I just picked this one out. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. Be careful. Watch out, he says. The third one is our old nature. The third enemy of, 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 our, of, our, of our soul is, the, the, is our old nature. See, who opposes God's best for your life and who opposes God's best for my life? It's the world around us. It's Satan and it's our old nature inside. See, we have good intentions. We do. We all do. We have great intentions, but we don't always do the right thing. I don't know about you, but, but I don't. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes a whole chapter in, in Romans. He, chapter 7 of Romans, Paul writes about this whole thing. And look what he says here in this, this, just verse 23. He said, inside me, my old nature is at war with my new mind. When we become a follower of Christ, he begins to change us. When we become a follower of Christ, the Bible says that his Holy Spirit lives, moves inside of us and lives in us. So he moves into us and lives inside of us. And through his word, God begins to change us. And through his Holy Spirit, he just begins to change us from what we are to what he wants us to be, which is more like Christ. And Paul, this, this, this should make you feel so good, okay? Because there are times that, that we, just, we just don't feel like we're doing it that well. We, not, we just don't feel like we have our act together in following Christ. And we have great intentions, but, but, but we, we fall and we fail so many times. Paul, who, by the way, wrote more than half of the New Testament, turns to you and I, and he says, inside me, my old nature is at war with my, with my new mind, which wants to do what is right, but my old flesh fights back and keeps me struggling with my old patterns and my sins. Paul says to you and I, it's so, look, you're going to feel that way. That's going to, because I feel that way, Paul says, who I, I believe next to Jesus is, is like the, the, the best character in, in the New Testament. And Paul, Paul, was, Paul, Paul was the king of leading the church. And when we look at Paul, there's nothing but biblical wisdom that comes from him. And, and in, in chapter 7 in Romans, he just stops and he, and he gives us transparency into this struggle in his life. 
He wrote this entire chapter exactly on that. I, I know what I should do, he said, and, and, I, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't do it. And I know what I want to do, but, but the things that I want to do, I don't do. And I do the things that I don't want to do. And, the, and he goes on to bounce this tennis ball back and forth so much. Um, you're standing there, you're like, what, 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 what are you saying, Paul? And that's what he's saying. I want to do it, but I don't do it because of that struggle that's going on inside of me. This passage that, that David is giving us about the good shepherd, this verse 5 about a banquet, what, what is the banquet for? He says, you prepare a banquet for me in the presence of my enemies. In the Bible, that phrase banquet in the original language, both Hebrew and the Greek, and, and the Greek means two things. They show up over and over again. They, they always, almost always mean the same thing. And I want to talk about those two things with you this morning. Because he says, I prepare for you a banquet. The first one of those two things is, God wants fellowship with me. In this banquet, he, this, is, this is one of the most amazing things. It's one of the most amazing truths, I believe, in the entire universe, that the, that the God who created it all actually wants to have fellowship with me and with you. This is a God who has, there's nothing he needs. That God doesn't need anything. God is God. He, he, he is totally complete. Every, every, all three members of the Trinity, all, every one of them are complete. God does not need anything. He's the one who created the universe, and yet he wants to know me, and he wants to know you. Everything God did was so that he could create a family. Do you know why? Because God wants people who recognize who he is, and they want to be in relationship with him. And that is such a big deal. Listen, he could have created everybody in the universe to want to be in relationship, but that would have been a robot. He gave every one of us free will, so we had this choice to make. Because the choice in free will of choosing him as our Savior is what gives it unbelievable value to him. That's a big deal to him. The banquet almost always in Scripture represents fellowship. We ask somebody over to our house and, and because we fellowship. Let's eat together. God is saying to you and I, 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 want, I want you to understand me. I want you to understand. I, I want you to grow in relationship with me so you understand how much I love you and you can learn to love me back. You want to have a successful day? Get to know God better and to love him more. If you get up out of your bed and you put your two feet on the ground and your prayer is, Lord, help me today to get to know you better and to love you more. And, and, and in that day, you get to know him a little bit better and you learn to love him more. You can go to sleep knowing that day has been a, a success. You can make a million dollars and never have success like that. Get to know me better. Learn 
to love me more. I want you to understand how much I love you. You are wanted by God. You are welcomed by God, this whole deal of fellowship. And in this passage that David is writing, David is saying, I, 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 he wants to do this. The good shepherd wants to do this. When you're under attack in the presence of your enemies, when you're, in, when you're under attack, God wants to encourage you in the presence of your enemies. When everybody else is coming against you, he wants to encourage you. He says, I want to throw a party in front of your enemies on the battlefield. I, I want to step into that situation and your enemy, your enemy they, they will actually drop their weapons and, and they will stop. Both sides will stop and look at you and say, what is going on here? In, in a sense, he's saying, I want to throw a party for you right smack in the middle of the, of the most difficult time in your life because I care about you that much. I'm going to be there through you all through, all through your life and in all these seasons that he points out in the 23rd Psalm. But, but this time here, in the combat zone, I want to throw a party in the combat zone. I want to throw a banquet in the battlefield. David is saying God wants to bless your life. Here's one of the things that I've noticed through the years. When God wants to bless your life, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. There's nothing your critics can do about it. They, they can slander you. They can ignore you. They can ridicule you. But they cannot stop God from blessing your life. They, they just don't have the, this is God we're talking about. They don't have the ability. God wants to bless his people. You know, we, we took our dollar share club offering last week, and I got to tell you, church, we, we were, a, as a church, we were able to give $1,200 to a family that really could use it. A fa yeah, go ahead. A family that I would say is right here where David is talking about. They're in a battlefield. They're, they're struggling and dealing with things in life. God loves to show blessing his people in the presence of their enemies. And if you're going through a battle, listen, I'm telling you, today God is inviting you to a banquet Look at this passage of Scripture in Job, because I, this, this fascinates me. God is gently calling you. This is Job writing now. God is gently calling you from the jaws of trouble. How many of you remember this, the movie Jaws? The jaws of trouble to, to an open place of freedom where he has set your table full of the best foods. Job is using the same metaphor that David was using. 
He's using very similar words that day. He's saying the exact same thing that David was saying. Open place of freedom where he has set your table full of the best food. Softly and tenderly, God is calling you. Job and David are given the same illustration from the jaws of trouble. What what jaws are gnawing at you? What kind of trouble are you dealing with? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Stressed? Like the world around us? Jaws of trouble to an open place of freedom where he has set your table full of the best foods. In the middle of the battle, God wants to fellowship with his children. And the second thing that he wants to do is he wants to show that he is blessing you. He wants to show, God wants to, number one, he wants to bless you, but not only does he want to bless you, he wants to show your enemies that he's blessing you. He wants them to recognize that he, God creator of the universe, is blessing you. Nothing, nothing in the middle of a battle has impact like that. Do you know why? Because as followers of Christ, you are a trophy of his grace. I watched Wes and Julia grow up, play soccer, play Little League, whatever that ball is. What do you put the ball on top of the thing? Baseball. What? T-ball, yeah. We didn't have that in New York. We had stickball. I, I watched them grow up and play these sports, and they would get trophies. And then there, then there came this time in life where, for Wes, all these trophies kind of went into a box, and they were in the garage, where now they were my responsibility. That's not the kind of thing that happens here. We are his trophies of grace. And, and we, so to speak, are, we are, he places us on the mantle in his family room. We are his trophies. Psalm 31, verse 19, David writes this. And he's talking to God. He says, you are wonderful. And while everyone watches you store up. You, you, you got you to underline that. Store up. While everyone is watching, you store up blessings for all who honor and trust you. God loves to bless his children. And, and, when, and he, when we willingly, when we willingly follow Christ, when we willingly Honor God in our lives. 
He takes note and he stores up blessings. You are God's goodness on display. He says, I want to bless your life so that the people who look at you go, wow, she is blessed. That girl is blessed. That guy is blessed. I want to be like that. It is part of what he does. And he doesn't just do this in life in the valley, in the mountaintop peaks, or as we're walking through the green pastures or alongside the calm river. He wants to do it even when we are in a battle. If you're in a battle, he is planning relationship battle, financial battle, a moral battle. Maybe you're battling for your sanity. My encouragement is just keep honoring God with your life, with your body, with your business, with the way you think, the way you act, the way you talk. Just keep honoring God because it is a big deal to him. In Malachi, he even talks about this with our finances. He says, he says, listen, I want you, what I want you to do, and, he, and, and there's real clarity here. We, we, think, we, we think we own everything. I, I'm, I'm probably going to do another series real soon coming up on, on the whole area of finances because the, our culture, people are living their lives in debt, and God's plan is not for us to be to living our lives in debt. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. Servant, servant, slavery, indebted to. And, and when you're in debt, then, then, then you're, the cost on your money is going up greatly. When you're not in debt and, and you're on the other side of the aisle, then, then the value of your money is going up greatly. And besides the numbers and the math, we're talking about God's blessing. And that is such a big deal. But in Malachi, he says, bring, bring, bring me the tithe. In other words, what God is saying is, I, I am... I am entrusting to you all that you have. And he says, bring me my tithe, which is the first 10%. Okay? This, I'm, I'm caught off on a tangent here. The first service didn't get any of this stuff, so you guys are blessed. He, he says, bring me the tithe. The tithe, it's, it says in Malachi, belongs to God. Do you know what that means? You're going to hate me after this one. There's two things that you can do with the tithe, right? I heard, Mar heard Robert Morris say this just recently. I thought, whoa, that's right. Only two things. It's only, that's all you can do, just two things. You can either bring it. You don't even give it because it's not yours in the first place. He says it's his. So you can bring it or you can steal it. Whoa. Some of you going home uncomfortable? Just, just sharing truth there. See, just keep honoring God with your life, with your body, with your business, the, the way we speak. You know why? Because God, all God knows this is the economy of God. I, I, I got to tell you, tithing since a little kid, I'm really off on this tangent here this morning. 
Since a little kid, when my dad explained to me, I thought, that makes sense. And it's from the Bible. I'm doing it. And I've done it my entire life. And I get into more of that, but, but we, don't, we don't really need to do that. When we recognize who God is, first of all, this whole tithe thing, I would much rather, much rather live on the 90% that, that I have knowing I've given God the 10%, knowing having given Him the 10%, I'm going to live on the 90% that He now is blessing. That will rock your socks right there. And in the same passage in Malachi, he says, not only will I do that, but I go beyond that. And he, and he, he steps right through the next, the next part of that passage, and he says, not only will, I, not only will that 90% have my blessing, but I will also protect your stuff. And, and I will, in, my, in response to you being obedient with the 10%, I will open up the windows in heaven and pour out so much of a blessing that you won't be able to handle it. That's exactly what he says. You know, it's kind of like, what's this? You can't handle the truth. He gave, he said, I'll, pour, I'll pour out so much that you won't be able to handle it. And the cool thing about that passage of Scripture, boy, am I way off on a tangent here. The cool thing about that passage of Scripture is when he records that part of the Scripture, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about your life. Back over here. Psalm 35. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in in the prosperity of his servant. God wants to bless his children. And we think of that just in terms of money. He is thinking so much broader than that. We're talking about a banquet. David is talking about a banquet. If it's a banquet, what's on the menu? We're probably thinking chicken. No, no, no. You know what's on the menu? Everything God has promised in his word. Everything. 5,500 5, promises in God's word to his followers. That's how many promises are in here. That's what's on the menu. This book is full of his promises. And when I read through it, I read words like full, full of fruit, full of meat, milk, honey, bread of life, sweeter than honey. It's fulfilling. When I read my Bible, anger level goes down. When I read my Bible, fear goes down. And the more I read my Bible, anxiety just goes down. Psalm 119, 103 says this. In Psalm 119, 103, in Psalm 119, I'll go over here. <laughs> How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey, to my mouth. Are you spending time in God's word? James, I went to church on Sunday. I'm so glad you did. How many meals did you eat this week? One? If you ate one meal a week, you, you might not be making it. Every single day, we have the opportunity to have a banquet anywhere, anytime, right in his word. When you close this book, 
God stops responding. Look what he says in David says Psalm 36. How precious, O God, is your constant love. We find protection under the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundant food you provide. You let us drink from the river of your goodness. You are the source of all life. Church, this is God's love letter to you. These are his love letters to you and to me. Do you know the Bible is not for everybody? It's for God's children. That's who it's for. That's why when somebody who doesn't really know God reads it and, 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 and you hear them say things like, well, it, it just doesn't make sense. Well, it wasn't written for you. It was written for his children. Unless God uses his word to pursue through his Holy Spirit. That's a whole other arena. If you're a new believer, you, you need to open this baby up and begin through the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go right to Luke and start reading Luke. Read Luke a couple of times and get to know Jesus. But if, you, if you're not in this book, you know what, you know what you're forgetting? Because stuff leaks. I don't know about your brain, but stuff leaks out of my brain. And stuff leaks out of my life. But if you're not in this book every day, then you're forgetting how much God loves you. And you're forgetting what's at the banquet table. And that, that verse, the banquet table, it has a now and then to it. See, that verse on the banquet table, the now is when you're in the most difficult time of your life, he wants to bring a banquet table. But there's a then to it. You see, history is moving on. And the reality is, you and I are going to die. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. See, I grew up and I, and I watched I watched as, a, as our family, my mom and my dad, and, and, and it was my sister and myself, and, and then we had a younger brother, and, and he lived for months, not years, and, and he left this planet, and, and, he, and he went home to be with the Lord. And we always knew that my little brother was with the Lord. And then a little bit of time went by, and, and my, mom's, my mom's parents and my dad's parents, all, all four of my grandparents, over this little span of time, all left this planet, and they went home to be with the Lord. And then my mom left this planet, and she went home to be with her parents and her in-laws and her son. And by the way, Jesus. And then my dad went home to be with the Lord. And there's another banquet table that he's talking about. Because this verse is now and then. See, he wants to give us strength in the battle. But he also wants to give us assurance of our security in the place that he has prepared for us. I, go, I prepare a banquet table for you. Let's stand together. 
I went seven minutes over, eight minutes over in this service. I didn't do that in the first service. I, church, if you're in the difficult time in your life, let me tell you, he's preparing a banquet table. Go to the banquet. Go to the banquet. And about that last banquet table, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that's an easy thing to do. Now, it wasn't cheap. It's free to you, but it wasn't cheap. Because Jesus let them nail him to a tree after they beat him beyond recognition. And he did that because God is building a family. And that's you, and that's me. And he paid the price for our sins when they nailed him to the tree. And you can become his child. You can only become his child by making a decision to believe in who he is, that he's the son of God, that he laid his life down for our sins. They nailed him to a cross. They put him in a grave. And on the third day, we're going to talk about it all through April. Do not miss the first weekend in April. They nailed him to a cross, and he rose from the dead. He kicked Satan's tail forever. He conquered death. The Bible says he conquered death. Death will not conquer any of us. We'll go through it, but we're going home. He conquered death. And listen, you can be a part of our family, you can be one of his children by simply accepting him as your Savior, and you can do it right here. It's that simple. Jesus did not come to make that difficult. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for blessing us, no matter when it is in our lives. Difficult times, hard times. If you're here this morning and you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just put your hand right up and put it right back down. Just let me know. Yeah. Yes. Father, thank you. Yes, thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that your family is even larger now. Thank you for the work on Calvary that you are willing to do for us. If you raise your hand to accept Christ as your Savior, tell somebody. Father, thank you for, for this, your church family here, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Bless us, Lord, now. Even as we continue in this service, we worship you again in a song, and we just let you know that we love you. We recognize your love for us. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen.